Hello, and welcome to the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast with me, your host, Doug Burton. I'm an artist and educator in the creative arts. Each episode will be a short conversation with a participating artist considering their work, intentions for the show, and anything that emerges in between. The Wonderland Exhibition will take place from the 1st of July to the 5th of August 2023 at the Tremonier Sculpture Gardens in Cornwall. The exhibition shows new sculptures from the Southwest about landscape and walking from members of the Royal Society of Sculptors, with assistance from Penzance based writer Martin Holman. Hi, Anna Gillespie. It's great for you to join me today. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Doug. Really good to, to have this chat. Brilliant. So I was hoping we'd start off talking about uh, your thoughts about Tremonier. The show's now on, so um, it'd be great to reference the work as it's installed. But perhaps um, to also think about where you've come from and your journey from the previous show to this at Chichester as part of our Southwest group and see maybe how that links a bit into the, the Tremonier side of things. I mean, when Seamus came up with this idea, it was we were actually in the midst of doing Chichester. And I, I immediately thought it was a great idea. I've been to Tremonier before, maybe even a decade ago. Ooh, can't, well, anyway, I loved it. Um, and then when Chichester was such a success in terms of sort of bonding with the group and provoking work, I was even more keen to go ahead to continue the relationship with the group, really, as much as anything. But also for me, I wanted a continuity with the work. So what I did at Chichester was I, I made body casts of everybody and sort of jumbled them together to make a triptych that ran down one aisle, uh, one side of the cloisters. So I wanted to sort of echo that theme of body casts in the Tremonier work. And then when the steering committee came up with the idea of it being about walking, about wandering, you know, in response to the path that runs through the park, it was like the perfect brief. It was like Chichester, which had, for me, the brief of touching because it was post-pandemic. And then the site, which was so inspiring, particularly for me, that side of the cloister. And then here we were in Tremonier again with an amazing site and the brief completely, you know, at one with the site. So it was, it was, it was really, um, I was very excited. And what was it about the Tremonier site in terms of landscape? Could you maybe lead us into the work sort of uh, with, with that sort of sense of what you got from Tremonier and why you decided the creative decisions you had? Well, there's two very powerful things about Tremonier for me. One is that you stand, when you, particularly when you go higher up into the gardens, you know, you're seeing the sea. The sea for me has got a very powerful connection with my father, who, who was a sculptor. Uh, so that's one of the things that makes it magical. And there's this magical aisle you can see, uh, you know, St. Michael's Mountain down here, we've got Glastonbury <laughs> and it's kind of almost like an equivalent, this thing that rises up that has a significance, even if you have no intellectual kind of knowledge of it or anything like that, you can't help, but humanly recognize that it's an important sort of place. Uh, so there's that. And then the very, the fact that the actual path runs through Tremonier, you can see it. It's so bizarre. It's right by the cafe, but there it is. And I, I actually wanted to walk the Camino um, some time ago and then got sort of stymied by the lockdown, as did many people. So it was a little bit of magic, two bits of magic in one place. Hmm. Brilliant. And yeah, you've mentioned the Camino, the, the, the pilgrimage aspect and it running mm. through. And, and that's an interesting tie with, with Glastonbury, where you're close to as well. Um so this brings in this sort of sense of um, I think you're interested in, in obviously walking and footsteps. Uh, the piece that's inside the gallery it is interesting how those feet, those toes, uh, are so sort of uh, engaging and tactile to us. There, uh, how do you feel about the piece in terms of 
dealt with body casts in the past and now the feet here. Could you go into a bit more about that for us? Can I can I just backtrack a moment to the whole yeah. thing about walking? Because yeah. what I realised when I was making it is I've since I was a, a child, I've had pictures of people walking on my walls, and I mean tribesman is a is a funny word to use these days, perhaps, but you know a silhouette of some people walking across the desert. I've had pictures more recently, um, you know, of Iraqi soldiers blindfolded and with one hand each on the shoulder of the person in front of them. Um, there's pictures like that from the First World War. So this sense of linear, the walking and then the linear nature of it and the group nature of it, I think is something I've always been fascinated with. Yeah, and there's the path. So I have indeed made three sections of path. And the fact that that's a triptych also is an echo of the Chichester piece, which was a triptych. Originally, actually, I thought of putting a piece outside and I wanted it to be circular. And we, we just couldn't find the site. It's one of those things where you you wrestle with a site. And in the end, uh, after choosing three places outside and each one being wrong, I, I kind of I take that sort of thing as a signal. <laughs> so, OK, that's not meant to happen this time. And then the, the irony was that the the circular piece, which was meant in the end to be in the gallery, ended up outside on the outside of the wall. So it, it went full circle, so to speak. And and um, and I got a piece outside. I'd like to go into a bit with you about that kind of sense of what I was mentioning just previously to this about mm. the the you know you really get that sense of the toes and the kind of mm. the intermingling of the the body part the the, yep. the feet body part in it and um and that is like really um it's almost quite visceral in yeah. in well, the, I in hope the so. experience yeah is that something yeah. you feel well there's two things I I want it to be visceral and I want I mean, if you look closely at the pieces, you even see like the, the the marks on the skin, the ridges of our skin, which we're very aware of with our fingerprints. But our feet have that too. And that's all there recorded. And just as a sort of an aside, if you go to Casa Buonarroti in Florence, you can actually see Michelangelo's fingerprints in some of the clay, you know. So it's incredible stuff. But with regard to the viscerality, this is another nice connection with the group because um, Simon Hitchens came to my studio after Chichester and we talked about the pieces that were there and we talked about creating greater distortion and then i saw a a bacon show which talked about biomorphic sort of feeling so what this piece is a development from the previous one in terms of yes it's meant to be visceral in its absolute immediate recognition of the human foot but i'm also hoping that i've begun begun to get some distortion in there that reflects movement that reflects you know one foot or another rather than it just being um sort of simple record foot, foot, foot. The visceral thing is interesting. I kind of I don't know where this idea came from, but I, I kind of got the idea that I wanted it to be how the earth feels us, as if you're seeing it, as if you're the earth and this footprint is coming down on you. And another thing about that was um, the Chichester piece was very involved. You know, they're proper sort of casts in terms of, and I, I used quite a lot of alginate and plaster to get it, so I was going negative and back to positive. And I wanted this whole thing to be simpler, partly to tread lighter, to, to use less material. So these are very, very direct and simple. They're just straight into the clay. And then with the, the plaster on top, there's not so much translation going on. And I think that's very visceral. And also getting people to tread in the clay in my studio, that was a very lovely experience with people sort of digging their toes in and going, ooh this is nice, you know, and it was a very hot day. And it was like, yeah, it was a very physical 
experience. So that, yeah. So I hope visceral is good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're using that word. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm suppose I'm coming to this from uh, my sense of feeling about looking at the work and, and maybe sort of um, opening up some uh, conversation around that. And you mentioned slightly earlier about almost a, a sort of a politics that you know we yeah. think about walking and and you mentioned um a particular uh almost torturous state or whatever it is yes yes that is is that sense of also with maybe even within your work or where you see your work going you know that that sense of understanding the human condition in some way through this process of making is is that something that that is that a fair thing to sort of um, well, it's very interesting. And I thought about it. Um, and I have done work on refugees and walking in the past. To be very honest, though, this this isn't on that very important aspect of where we are as a as a as a species at the moment. I I thought a lot more about climate change. And these are in a way they're prints. They're not they're not just a footprint. They are also a print. It feels like I'm making prints just happen to be using uh, plaster, not paper. But I kind of don't, as I speak, I don't want to pretend I've got this all worked out in my head. For me, this is a poetic process. So there's snippets of thought that join and unjoin rather than it being a coherent essay of thought. But the the notion of a footprint, it's sort of been like a meditation on that, you know, because we all talk about our carbon footprint. And indeed, I've used graphite and I'm kind of obviously very aware that that's carbon. Also, the paths have actually got ash in them and, and lumps of charcoal from from fires. It's like we've been told that our carbon footprint, you know, that our footprint is wrong. But it's a really upside down metaphor in a way, because when we when we tread on the land, when we walk, in a way, we're making the least footprint. So it's been labelled almost as a negative thing. And yet more walking would 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 surely be part of the solution. So this is where the politics lies for me. Not that I'm in any way denying um, the fact that, that, that the refugee, the situation of refugees is intense and, of course, is related to climate change. But the politics for me is about carbon. And that relates to me trying to use less materials and just have that lighter touch in that regard. And, and I'm hoping what, what this leads on to, I think, is I want to do some experimentation around using lime plasters and making the, the impact um, even less, simplifying it again. I'm not quite sure where that's going. I've got to get back in the studio and start playing. Absolutely. I think it's so interesting to think about the contrasts that, that you've been mentioning there, you know, a lightness of touch mm-hmm. and yet as sort of an, an internal struggle we're thinking, but the carbon footprint or the footprint and leaving a mark and not leaving a mark and this sort of um, toing and froing, this wrestling we almost have with um, ideas and then the work itself, um, which is why I was sort of bringing that up. Yeah, I think there is a wrestling, but I mean, that's that tension. Is, is where the work comes from, I think. So one of the tensions I've also been very aware of in this work is uh, between intentionality and then things coming in unconsciously and that, I mean, if you if you completely conceived a piece of work in your head and then just made it, I mean, for me, that would be boring. The fact that there's accidents and unknowns and you don't get to understand the work fully until maybe many years later, that's that's the the interesting bit. And I've actually forgotten your question now. <laughs> no, no, it was more of an observation. Um, and I think it's great to have this conversation around the work because um, I actually think those pieces in the gallery, they probably have this sort of weight and carry this um, density in terms of where the viewer can can sort of respond to it and where we start getting into it. 
even the fact that they're like drawings and they're these little bits of um as if they've been pulled directly from the earth from many people having trodden along the path so um it's fascinating to sort of uncover that a bit and um and observe it here but well, the roots sorry yeah go on yeah the, the the roots, which is is uh, in fact they're not roots. To be very honest, they're twigs, but they symbolise roots. I mean, they almost came about accidentally uh, in the process of doing many sample patches. So it's very simple. But actually, I've done many little experiments to get to where I've gone and uh, trying to tread organic matter in and then it not being neat and coming out the edges and then suddenly realising how precious that was and realising it's like a drawing. But in ecological terms, I think you know in the last. I don't want to put a number on it, five years or whatever, how much more conscious we've become of what's going on under our feet, the connections. And so, uh, you know, mycelium and roots, and it's, and, and the, the, those connections are often com- uh, cooperative connections, not competitive ones, as sort of older school biology would have had it, that everything's a, a, com- a competition. So I've been kind of interested in the roots and and thinking about that what what's in the soil and i, I kind of know i'm following a, a trend by doing that but but that's where we are and i and then again this is the kind of the the whole notion of a path is again it's like this is half man made inverted commas and half natural you know sheep make paths and so it's this sort of joining of of the man made and the natural both of those things are false constructs obviously because humanity is, we are, there is no separation between us and nature. But I'm loving the kind of trying to find a meeting point between them. And, and this, again, this is where the, the Royal Society has been really great. You know, I've talked about the conversation with Simon Hitchens. I had a great conversation with Rebecca Newnham in her studio about how do we talk about climate change in work and in our work? You know, is it all gloomy? And she was really challenging me on that, which is very useful to have colleagues who will properly challenge you, not just say, oh, that's nice. And as a result of that conversation, I was thinking about having a flip side of the coin. You know, we can make work about living in end times, which is possible. That's what we're doing. And also maybe on the flip side of that coin is looking at how can we embed ourselves more in the earth, be more at one with it. It's so hard to talk about this without sounding slightly corny, but I think you'll know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that it's um, important uh, in sculpture to... uh... And and as artists, for us to have an awareness, and if that comes out through the work, raising those those points and and viewers looking at your work and perhaps reading on their own some of this into it, I think that's um, for me that feels like part of the win in in the work, doesn't it? Is is like you you feel like you're accomplishing something, even if it's just a small way in terms of connecting. Uh, yeah, I think so, and I'm also I'm very happy that. I'm always happy if different people take completely different things out of a piece of work. I almost feel it is a sign of success. You know, I'm not necessarily trying to convey a message. That's my pleasure in the studio. These little bits of poetry that come in, that's for me. If people bring different things to it, then I feel it's properly reached out uh, beyond me. And there is this irony, which I've worked, seem to be coming to as I get older, uh, which is that the more personal the work is, in in a funny way, it's not selfish to make personal work because when you really, truly make personal work, it touches an archetype somehow. If you don't think about it, just let that happen and then other people will be able to connect with it through that. That's, that's my feeling at the moment. 
Brilliant. And just as we're sort of uh, getting to the end of uh, our podcast here, where do you think then your next idea, piece of work will take you from having having completed this work? Is is there something you can share with it? I, I tend to think once I've made a piece that I should quickly move on and make something else. But I, I think I'm going to stay with this for a bit. And, and I'm interested, as I said, maybe using lime plasters, maybe seeing if I can get it more fragile and possibly making making more modular works. It was quite quite an effort lifting that. <laughs> I don't know how many kilograms of clay was in that circle piece and the plaster on top. But so so fragility and exploring more about the carbon cycle and how I can kind of talk about that through this work. That that's that's the directions I'm thinking of of exploring next. Great. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you about your work today and seeing it in the show. I think it's really terrific and and great that we've been able to explore um, these subjects. So thank you, Anna. Really appreciate it, Doug. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wonderland Exhibition Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please click subscribe. You can learn more about the artists in this exhibition through social media, their websites, and online at the Royal Society of Sculptors.